Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey and joining us for the next few episodes, a guest co-host, Aubrey Sampson. Aubrey, Woo-hoo! oh my gosh. Hey, it's so awesome to doing? have you. Wow. I am so excited to be here as a guest co-host. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, it's an honor. It's very exciting to have you on as well. Again, if you guys recall, Aubrey's episode was episode 75. We talked a lot about her story and and the, and the book that you wrote, The Louder Song, and the topic of lament and all kinds of things. And I wanted to bring you back on to help me co-host because you just had so well, much wisdom. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This is so fun. Well, we're super excited. And if you are not familiar with Aubrey, you're going to have to, after you listen to this episode, you're going to have to go back and listen to her episode again, episode 75. But just a little backstory on her. She is the pastor of discipleship and equipping of Renewal Church up in Chi-Town, Chicago. Chicago! Yes. I, I feel like you Chicago need to break out into a little like Frank Sinatra right there, right? Isn't that Frank Sinatra, the <laughs> Chicago song? I feel like my kind of town, yeah. Chicago. There it is. Yeah, that is. There it is. Yeah, Good job, you're Aubrey. right. You just pulled it right Thank out. Thank you. You're Look at you. Multi-talented. Where, where did that come from? <laughs> I don't know. Somewhere in my subconscious that song exists, and it came right out. So well done, Davey. Love it. Well, you and your husband started this church, right? Yeah, we planted Renewal Church about four and a half years ago. Wow. So we're in the throes of church planting. We're not quite babies anymore, but we're yep. not quite big kids. So Right there, right there know, in that middle season. That's, yeah, that's I don't want to call season. it a sweet spot, but it's a it's certainly a spot. <laughs> it is. I'm not sure if there's any sweet spots ever in church planting, but that is kind of the season it. where you go, okay, we're not really a plant, and and we kind yeah. of feel like an established church, but it doesn't. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not. It's kind of yeah. But you're not only that; you're also a speaker and author. You travel and speak, and uh, you're writing books, and it's just all kinds of great stuff you have to share with us and your the people that you're writing for and our audience. So I'm super excited to have you on joining me these next couple episodes. It's going to be awesome. Thanks. I can't wait. I'm so excited. We have an incredible interview today. Uh, Also a speaker and writer, Aubrey, I know you're very familiar with her. Our listeners are going to be very familiar with her as well. Rebecca Lyons. Rebecca Lyons. I'm so, this is an exciting podcast because she's an amazing woman. She's an incredible speaker. She has such a ministry. The book that she's talking about in your interview is fantastic. I'm so excited about it. Yeah, it's called Rhythms of Renewal. And this is really interesting because, you know, Rebecca's written several books and she does a lot of speaking. She's in ministry and high capacity, but what she gets really vulnerable in this particular book Mm. and in this particular interview. And she begins to talk about some struggles that she had with anxiety and depression and burnout and kind of this, this, point that she had, and really it was a long process and you'll hear more about it, but this point that she hit where she realized this, I'm not okay. And, um, and so it, it's just an, it's an awesome interview, but I think it really connected with me because, uh, I understand what it's like to just kind of live out this ministry thing and almost not, you know, almost, almost, um, sacrifice yourself and sacrifice your family mm. on the altar of ministry. And I know that you're very yeah. familiar with that world as well. And it's kind yeah. of a new conversation to talk about self-care in the context yeah. of ministry. Um, but I wonder, you know, do you feel like that um, 
this has been something that you and your husband have wrestled with when it comes to, you know, wow, how do we, how do we really like make sure that we're uh, walking in these rhythms that are not going to yeah. lead to, to burnout or to, to anxiety? To burnout. Oh, I heard somebody say recently that burnout doesn't happen when you're doing too many things. It's when you stop doing the things that matter. Wow. And that has stuck with me as far as ministry burnout. Like the things that matter are obviously our relationship first and foremost with Jesus and wow. him filling us. But also these rhythms like Sabbath and exercise and taking care of yourself. And like for Kevin and I, we have to make sure we're connecting with each other intentionally um, as husband and wife, because a week will go by and we've been only talking about ministry or only yeah. serving other people or only, you know, doing the things that need to get done, the projects that need to get done. And we're like, whoa, wait, we're still a married couple. Right. And if if our ministry isn't flowing out of a healthy marriage, we're, it's going to die. You, oh, know, you see that happen all the time. Yeah. And so I love that Rebecca's going to talk about that with you because, um, man, it is so prevalent, the, the pressure to like put yeah. ministry first and um, she's saying, let's put it back in the proper order so that some of this anxiety, panic attack stuff can maybe possibly right. be curbed a bit. Right. Right. And I love what you just said. It's it's this idea of ministry should be out of the overflow of what God is doing already inside of you. And so often yeah. we can go about doing ministry, putting on programs, putting on, you know, preaching. And it comes from this hollow space because it's not coming out of an overflow. We're, it, we're coming out of empty and that happens to us so often. You know, and what, what I love about this interview is, as you guys are going to listen to this, is how vulnerable she gets. Um, mm. but, but I wrestle with that too because, you know, you live kind of in a public platform. I live in a public platform. We yeah. all on some level have an influential platform. It doesn't matter how many followers you have on Instagram. It doesn't matter yeah. how many people you speak in front of or if you're just, you know, as a you're going to work and you have people that you influence. And you have to wrestle with this idea of like how how vulnerable do I be? do I be with, with the things that I'm struggling with and right. where are the safe spaces to do that? Um, right. And, you know, I, I just wonder how you guys have kind of landed on on that side of things, on yeah. where do you share these things? How do you share these things? How vulnerable? Because, some, you know, vulnerability, authenticity, transparency can be an incredible ministry. Totally. But also, you know, there's a level at which it's like we can't put it out there for everybody or how much do you, you know? Yeah. Everyone doesn't necessarily get to have everything. I think as a four, too, I'm a four in the Enneagram, I tend to go vulnerable pretty quickly. Mm. And um, it took a few instances in my life where I realized I went too vulnerable too fast. And um, I think you have to remember, uh, Kevin and I have to remember like, I do have agency over my life. Mm. There are my best friends, my people who get to see all of me and they'll hold me accountable and they can see the struggle and their wrestle. I can be authentic and vulnerable on social media or in public ministry without having to bear everything to everyone, yeah. you know, because I, I think that can get dangerous too, right? right? What do right. you do, Davey? How do you think through that? Well, I think, I mean, I think you're dead on right there. That's kind of where we have lived as well. We we constantly ask the question, you know, to what extent is this vulnerability or, or what we're putting out there, is it going to help others? And, mm. I, and I think on some level, as as pastors, historically, you know, pastors have typically, or people in ministry positions, have typically put on a facade 
to, right. you know, and kind of walled themselves off from with this facade of perfection. I've got it all together. And so I love the fact that now there's some, the there's permission that's being given for people in ministry to open up and go, Hey, and you know, that's one of the things Rebecca does right here is like, Hey, it's, we got to talk about this stuff. We got to get this out in the open. We are struggling yeah. as well. And so when it comes to Christy and I, we are consistently living in the space where we're going, okay, what do we put out there? <laughs> What do we not? What do we share with others? And what do we talk about behind closed doors with a counselor or with yeah. trusted family members or trusted friends in a small group? And, and to what extent? I think it just, it, it all boils down to being intentional about creating the safe spaces in your life. Where you can be real, but you right. don't necessarily have to like spill all of your guts to everyone. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I mean, this is certainly a great conversation. I love that Rebecca's having this conversation. I love she's coming out of, out of some experience with this, and yeah. it's tested, it's tried, it's over several years, and so she's got a wealth of wisdom. Uh, but before we get into my interview with her, let me read a re- review of someone who has gone and, and done this. Um, this particular review says, wow, this podcast is everything and more. Each episode I've listened to has brought a new emotion. I can't stop listening. While speaking the truth of life, this podcast continues to share the love of Jesus while teaching some of the hardest, most heartbreaking, yet rewarding lessons life brings. Um, what a great review. That's, that's awesome. We really, that's, that's so humbling awesome. to hear um, from you, Meg. That was um, Meg Wolfie who wrote that review. So we'd encourage you to go to iTunes, write a review. Uh, we love to read those reviews. It helps us as well just to be encouraged. It helps us to know um, how we can continue to uh, put this message out there and improve in this. And it also helps to to allow this podcast to gain exposure so more and more people can listen to these great stories of hope and healing. And while you're at it, why don't you go over to Instagram and follow us, Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. And um, as you're listening to this, if you're listening to this with your phone, if you're not driving the car so it's not dangerous, go ahead and tag <laughs> Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. Take a little screenshot. We'd love to kind of share that with everybody and uh, just kind of interact with you right there. So Nothing Is Wasted Ministries on Instagram. All right. And without further ado, here is Davey's interview with the one and only Rebecca Lyons. Rebecca, great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for joining me. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Well, you've come out with this uh, new work, Rhythms of Renewal. I'm super excited about this book because I think it just hits our audience, most folks, right where they're at, where they're trying to learn how to navigate the chaos in their life, try to make sure they're moving into a place of wholeness. Um, I'd love to dialogue about that look, that book, and, and I'd like to talk about some of the inspiration behind it because you're pretty open about your own journey and walking through uh, some, some struggles with anxiety and depression yourself. And so can, can, sure. you, can you just kind of, let's just go ahead and, and deep dive into this since we don't have a lot of time to talk. Go ahead and tell me what, what's the inspiration behind uh, Rhythms of Renewal? Sure. So nine years ago, I had my first panic attack. We'd moved to Manhattan four months prior with our three kids. They were in elementary school at the time. And my youngest was starting kindergarten. And so I was trying to rediscover who I was mm. after that proverbial decade of diapers and Cheerios. And food. <laughs> I was like, where'd she go? Is she still in there? And so I started taking night classes down in Union Square with kids half my age, basically at Parsons School of Design. And I had a history in fashion and interiors and just liked that stuff. So I was like, well, let's explore that. Mm. And then 
four months into my time, I have a panic attack on a flight from Atlanta back to LaGuardia at midnight. And something rose in me. I didn't have language for it. I wouldn't have called it panic disorder that I was entering for the next year. But just something overcame me. My heart is beating out of my chest. I feel like I'm being held at gunpoint. And mm. the, the irrational thought on the plane is if I don't escape, I'll die. There's this claustrophobic fear of being trapped. Mm. And so I barrel towards the galley while everyone else is doubling down on their seatbelts. And I'm just running as we're trying to land. And I've just fallen the fetal position in the galley and just said, panic, panic, panic. And what began that day continued in, um, let's see, elevators, subways, uh, <laughs> crowds, you name it. It was just wow. um, all of a sudden everything I was facing in New York, I had to deal with always feeling trapped. Mm. And so that over the course of the next few months, I just started living small. I would avoid situations. Like I would jump on and off an elevator more. It had to have like two to five people, but no more than I'd jump off or a subway. If too many people got on and I couldn't, you know, holiday shoppers with all their bags, I would jump back off. In fact, one time I was trying to claw it, it was Christmas and every, it's like everyone decides to come to New York City and decides that all their Christmas presents must be purchased from New York City. So <laughs> people are getting on the course, with all they? these bags. And I try to drop my scarf and coffee and I'm trying to claw the, the doors of the subway back open, which is not a good idea. Yeah. That's not a good wow. idea. So that just began a new um, fear. I, I was a high capacity firstborn mm. type A high achiever. And there wasn't much that I would be threatened by or be stopped by, but that began just a new sense of smallness and feeling my frailty and ultimately surrender about a year in. Mm. So then November of the next year, sorry, I'm sorry, September of the next year, I just in the middle of the night uh, would always have this smothering feeling um, in my bed or just walking the streets of New York at the, at the playground, you name it. It was not even contained to small spaces now at this point. It was just in general all the time. I had these physical symptoms of fear. And that's what that's when it turns into anxiety. A lot of yeah. people are like, what's what's anxiety versus stress? Or what's mm. anxiety versus panic attack? Because a lot of people think it's all the same thing. And right. it's a continuum, but it is not the same thing. It's almost like you start here with stress. It's like chronic. Um, you have everyday stress because you're overscheduled. Right. And you're always on like a screen right. or something. But then it turns to chronic stress because you have years of this mm. where there's probably something in your circumstance. We have a special, special needs son, my firstborn, Cade. He would run off as a kid or we would find ourselves in the ER all the time mm. because he had croup and his airways would close really fast. So always living with a heightened sense of stress that right. became chronic. And trauma is really like chronic trauma is just chronic stress. You can't ever get away from it. Right. So we get to New York and it's like a pressure cooker and it just pushes all that out to the surface mm. in a physical state. And so that's when stress becomes anxiety. It's when the anxiety, your body is actually responding physically because it can no longer handle the emotional trauma that you're internally carrying. Right. It, like what is inside must come out. And so for me, it came out in the form of panic disorder. Mm. But like that year in, I cry out to God and the peace of Christ floods me. For the first time, it just stops in the middle of a panic attack in the middle of the night. And a healing journey began from there. Mm. 
Mm. And so that was 2011. Now we're in 2019. So it's been eight years. And I didn't have another panic attack for six years. It was like God's just intervention. It didn't mean it didn't, there wasn't a temptation. There Mm. were moments I was about to go there, but I had enough muscle memory to go like, this is where I just claim the peace of Christ right now. And I had go to scriptures, go to worship, go to mm-hmm. passages. Um, um, but I also do agree that pain becomes purpose, like mm-hmm. like what you guys teach and what you talk about on your podcast. And the minute I was able to take that pain and actually channel it in helping other people, mm-hmm. um, it was like I was living out the the premise of Viktor Frankl's work, where he right. says the root of anxiety is unfulfilled responsibility. Wow. So all of a sudden, I was carrying responsibility around that story that actually made the anxiety kind of stay at bay, if that makes sense. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah. Anytime I feel like what you just said, if you begin to, uh, some levels of anxiety can, can root from having this kind of inward focus, continual or perpetual, because you've got this thing to do, this thing to do. Like you said, this idea of busyness all the time, no margin scheduling, uh, back to back to back, and just this pressure, this high stress intensity over a long period of time. And then Somehow as you begin to heal and then you begin to kind of let that be the outflow of that begin to spill over onto other people and helping them, there was this channeling thing that happened. And, and I mean, what, a, what an amazing thing. But this isn't something that you were familiar with being a high capacity, high performing firstborn. What, and and right. then there are some people who that's their story. They're like, yeah, I've not been someone who struggled with anxiety very much. And then all of a sudden it hits them out of nowhere. And, yeah. and you know, Rebecca, I've talked to so many people, especially in the work that we do, who are like, I've like cried out to God. I've, I've done just what you've described, but I didn't feel like I got relief from it. Is, is that kind of why you decided to write this book was to try to put a a helpful plan in place for people or how much of this is, is a spiritual thing? How much of it is a, a physical thing or having to do with the practicalities of our schedule? Where does all of that tie in? Yeah, I think it's both. I think it's everything even the way our bodies respond is still spiritual because we were created beings from a, a God who knit us together. Mm. And he said our work, his works were wonderful and that he has intention that in destiny, he appoints even in the womb with our birthright gifts. And mm. he says, um, all your days were written in plan before one of them began. And when he established and knit you in the womb, it meant he's, he gave you these, this DNA, this birthright gifting to fulfill the appointment and the destiny that he had prepared Mm. in advance. So it's almost like he's saying, I've got a dream and a vision for your life and I'm going to equip you with what you're going to uniquely need to walk that out, but you can't do it apart from me. Mm. So (laughs) you can try, but ultimately the call of God requires the move of God. And so it's almost, um, I would have never thought that my trajectory would look like it looks now. I I would have never, ever in my wildest dreams thought I would have a son with Down syndrome who's Mm -hmm. now an adult that I would have, you know, walked, watched, um, mental illness in my, in my family, particularly my father, uh, that I would have to walk through that, that I would then adopt a daughter with Down syndrome who's six, Mm -hmm. that she's been home nine months. Like we don't, (laughs) no curveballs would have helped me like have any idea that this was happening. But yet I do believe that what God promises us, whether or not we have that moment of like deliverance, rescue, 
first of all, scripture says you rescue me again and again and again and again. Actually, there's a Psalm that says that, and it might be in these small, subtle ways. And I didn't have my first panic attack. I begin this new book with the one that I had at the end of 2017. And it caught me off guard and I felt shame mm. like, oh, have I not arrived? I've been teaching yeah, on this, freedom, healing, this or, what yeah. in the world? Mm. Apparently I have not arrived. I'm going to go ahead and announce that now. <laughs> <laughs> I felt anxious getting on a Shock plane last weekend because it felt like it was the size of my closet. I was like, no. Uh, I even Googled like how long it would take to drive to that event that I was supposed to be speaking at in right. four hours, but it was nine hours away. So I was like, <laughs> I guess I got to get on this flight. But so the, the point is this, God says, I don't promise that fear won't come knocking. Mm. As long as we are broken and frail and we're just, we need God we're in desperate need of a savior. He's like, there's going to always be stuff coming against us. Like that's, it's not your identity. It's just the things that are coming against you yeah. um, as a result of just a fallen world. Right. So he says, I don't promise that fear won't come knocking, but I always promise a way of escape. Mm. And the story that begins this book is a very clear illustration of how he showed me that. And I think that's the bigger message of this book. It's like, yeah, you might experience a supernatural healing where you never actually have to battle again in that particular area, but most likely, especially in areas of the mm. mind, that is the playground of the enemy. Right. He's just like, okay, I, I didn't get her here. Now I'm going to come at it from this angle or that angle. Yeah. I'm going to use rejection in a relationship, or I'm going to use bitterness in her heart or unforgiveness towards a friend mm. or whatever it is. I'm still going to try to have a foothold in her heart and I'll do it by whatever means necessary. Mm. So if we can understand that, like, we're sitting ducks sometimes when we start to talk about freedom or we start to talk about the gospel or talk about healing because he's like, Oh, he's like doubling down. He's right. angry because we're like, wait a minute, your death of like, like the, the despair you feel right now is not the end of your story. Yeah. The minute we start telling people that death precedes resurrection, that mm. there is something for you around the bend that right. is true and hopeful and full of life then I just think sometimes we become targets on some level. Right. A lot of us just to go, oh, it's not going to stop. Right. It's not like just like, oh, well, I lost that one. No, no, no. As long as we are getting loud about it. So for me personally, this book is for, for the person who says, I'm starting to like really desire hope and see yeah. hope. And I want to try and pursue it. I'm not giving way to despair. I am not bowing down that this is the end of my story. Mm -hmm. And this is what the rest of my life's going to look like. Well, a, just by doing that shows you're, you're so much braver and stronger than you realized mm -hmm. just by confessing that out loud. Like this is not the end of my story. Mm -hmm. I don't accept this. And because God says, Hey, Rebecca, I don't give you a spirit of fear. I give you power, love, and a sound mind. I needed mm -hmm. to hold on to that. Okay. If all this anxiety and all this crippling, debilitating stress is not something God gives me, but instead he gives me power and love and a sound mind, then I need to agree with that at some point. Mm -hmm. And so part of what the enemy does is he, he accuses and he gets us to agree. Yeah. And so I think for a lot of us of going, what are the words and the sentences, almost the, um, the broken lies that we have declared over ourselves in agreement that we need to repent of. Right. And so I do, I mean, I still do that now. I'm like, <laughs> if I say something dumb, this just comes, it's like responding to a, a thought, like, I can't do this. This, 
you know, I'm just done. I don't have anything left. It's like, well, of course you don't, but God in you is the hope of glory. Christ in you is the hope of glory. (laughs) And you carry that light shining in your heart. So you're pressed, but not destroyed. Like read scripture, be reminded of what is true. And then go, God, I repent of the way that I would reject that truth or Mm -hmm. the way that I would agree with that I'm done and I'm out. Like that's, I don't even have permission to do that. Or I don't have permission to withhold forgiveness from someone. So when we say I repent, that just means I I make a hard stop from the mental agreement that I am making with evil. And I reject that. And I say, no, God, I trust that what you have for me is good and it is true. And while it might not be this like, like raising from the dead manifestation kind of miracle, the miracle is that I'm getting up today and I'm pursuing you and I'm trusting mm. that you are who you say you are and that you work all of this for good. That's so good. We say a lot that God sometimes heals in poof. You know, sometimes he <laughs> yeah. just snaps his finger and boom, you're healed. Like and what that's you experienced. Amazing. Yeah, this like um, yeah. immediate rush of the Holy Spirit that really alleviated your anxiety back in, you know, 2011 or whatever it was that you found freedom from that. It's just this poof experience. But most of the time he heals in process. Yeah. And, and the poof really, let's be honest, the poof was just the peace of Christ flooded me that mm. night in an unexpected way. And I think I stepped out that next day with a new lens of oh, going, wow. wow, if God could do, if God could show me himself there, is he going to keep doing that? Yeah. And it was almost like I was testing the boundaries, getting back on a subway. And I started to just see, I don't even know if it was like a poof moment as much as it was, I just started to be sensitive to his nearness. Mm, and great. I think that's the thing too. Like if we're more aware that like, El Roy mm-hmm. is hanging out right here. The <laughs> God who sees us mm-hmm. in the subway trying to keep our chill or Rafa, the God who heals mm-hmm. is like on our right hand. Like he is with us. Then all of a sudden you don't have certainty for where things are going to go throughout the day, but you know, he's near. Yeah. And that to me is like why Emmanuel matters. Like Jesus putting on flesh, coming and walking this earth was so that we would know that he would always be with us. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like recently, you know, since you kind of started to battle with this again, this has been a little bit more of a process of digging down a little bit deeper into the some of the root causes of it. In fact, this book, Rhythms of Renewal, you, you specifically chose this word rhythms, which I yeah. find really, I love that word. I find it very fascinating because I kind of sense the the same thing that it seems like you're communicating in that is that life needs to be more in this idea of a rhythmic thing that aligns with what God is. Is there a reason why you you decided to call it rhythms and not like, uh, you know, the, the 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 antidote for you know anxiety or the four you know what I mean? That yeah, will four save your life. Ha- yeah. What's what is rhythms? What is that? trying to communicate? Well, God established the earth in rhythm. He created life in rhythm. And when I really got Mm. back to like pulling way back of like the created order from Genesis about day and night, evening and morning Mm. was the first day, the second day, the third day, that all of a sudden like waves on the beach or um, sunrise and a sunset, or then we've got seasons. Like God actually created order with such intention that anything that falls outside of that created order becomes chaos Mm. and the enemy lives and dwells in the chaos and he drags us out there with him. Mm. (laughs) 
So when we get outside the bounds of a created order that was established from the beginning, not only is there rhythm and waves hitting a beach or um, the, 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 the turn of the constellations or the earth, there's also like rhythms in created in our bodies, yeah. right? We've got heartbeats are in rhythm. Our breaths are in rhythm. Mm-hmm. Our pulse is in rhythm. Labor contractions are in rhythm. Like mm. life comes from rhythm. Yep. It's just it. That's yeah. like a God given principle. So then I'm thinking, okay, if he would like walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, that was probably a rhythm mm. that they like where they had communion and it was good. Mm-hmm. And so I'm thinking, okay, if we are trying to actually, if Christ reconciles us back to the father where the curse of sin Mm -hmm. is now been paid for, then we are trying to be reconciled back to that created order. Yeah. And so rhythm is just a real natural God given way to walk it out. And it's through our inner life. Like, are we good with God, our spiritual life, Mm -hmm. which is rest? It's it, a physical life. Are we actually taking care of the temple we've been given and, and stewarding our bodies as well as well as we can for as long as we have mm-hmm. them? Yep. Um, we know they're temporal, but we're still supposed to be responsible with it, right? right? Um, and then the last two rhythms, Jesus models this so well. He models all four with, I study and in, in the curriculum I do with this book, I study how Jesus lived these rhythms mm-hmm. and modeled them as son of man and son of God. Because thankfully he took on the form of a son of man. So we'd actually have a human expression of what God says. Hey, here's how you should do it. Like you should like go preach, but then retreat to the mountain and pray. You know, you should get away from the crowd and just be with your people and break bread and like speak from your heart. I mean, there's a lot that Jesus is doing uh, sidebar. Mm. But the point is, is like the connect and create is Connect is like God's a triune, a communal God and created us in his image as communal people. We better be healthy in relationships. Mm. And if we are, then we're in rhythm. And then the last one is um, create, which is vocare, the, the vocational call yeah. that God just says, hey, that destiny I appointed in the room, like it's going to make me really happy to see you walk that out. I mm. delight in seeing you exercise those talents, those birthright gifts and not bury them or not self abdicate, you know, like time yourself out, like, no, just walk in faith and and see what I want to do with that. Mm. That's your, what I love about what you're describing is the, the wholeness of, of us as in our personhood, you know, that I think so often we just pigeonhole or categorize certain things about ourselves or, you know, especially in our, in our faith, we say, okay, all of this is just a spiritual thing, or all of this is just a physical thing or all of it. And we begin to compartmentalize things. And that's not true. What you're saying is it's so integrated that we are whole beings and there's several different facets of who we are. And one being out of balance is going to affect the balance or the rhythm of the other. Yeah. And I'm a linear thinker because I grew up reading books. They call me Becca book. I never grew up on the digital. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm not an abstract. I like, it's like a building block for yeah. me. So that's why rest is first because you don't mm. run to earn rest. You run from, from it. Wow. rest. You run from a posture of rest. So you're already filled up before you're like yeah. trying to do the other things. Yeah. Like why would you start with create when you actually haven't mm. even you're trying to give something on empty, which is what we're doing. That's why society is so burned out. Yeah. That's why we're 
tired. Everyone is just exhausted because we have lived in those output rhythms Mm -hmm. with no input because input doesn't really pay you. Let's be honest. Mm. Like you don't get a a bonus for eating a healthy lunch or for spending time with God. Typically, like there's no, there's not a reward the world's going to give you like there is for the connect and create. So we're prone to kind of hang in that output space, especially in ministry. And then all of a sudden we're having all these moral failures. We're having like, there's no integrity on the inside because we actually haven't gone before God and saying like, search me, Mm. know my heart, test me, know my anxious thoughts, see if there's anything wicked in me and lead me in the way Mm. everlasting. Like there, there's so many models of this in scripture where when, when even David fell, right. When he made horrible choices, the reason he was a man after God's own heart is because he came back, Mm. he came back with a broken and contrite heart. And God kept saying like, I don't delight in sin offerings. I delight in a broken and contrite heart. Well, guess what? That's not the, that's not in the create rhythm. That's, that's in the rest. And that's that morning routine. I write a chapter on morning routine. Like if we can't come in a posture of release and surrender, like God, you are King and I am, I'm not, (laughs) and I want to receive whatever the nutrients of heaven want to flow from the vine to the branch. I'm here Mm. like palms up. I kneel. I I actually take on a posture of kneeling, not because I'm super holy, but, but actually in that posture, it, it elicits surrender and Mm. release. Like it's hard to like be in charge of your prayers when you're kneeling, you know, you just like your body language is going God, I worship you and I receive whatever it is you have. I want to make sure I don't miss it. Mm. So I bow low because, because you have something to offer, not me. Wow. So are there, there are four rhythms that you're saying, right? There's four. Can you say what those four are? That yeah. You... So rest and restore okay. are the first two. And they're in that order. Rest is Rest and restore are the input rhythms and connect and create are the output rhythms. Okay. And so rest, yeah, is the first one. And it is that inner spiritual health, that inner life, spiritual life. Mm -hmm. And then restore is the physical. So I talk a lot on Mm -hmm. diet and movement and activity and like actually using the workout pants and um, (laughs) play. I talk a lot about play and like seeking adventure and road trips and recovering almost the the zeal of your youth when you were Mm. active and you hadn't learned to be afraid yet. Oh, wow. That's so good. I want to interrupt this amazing interview for just a few seconds to let you know about our Pain to Purpose video series. You may have heard us talk about it before, but if not... This is a video series we created to help you step-by-step as you navigate a tragedy, trial, or transition in your life. In the videos, I discuss practical ways to work through your pain, no matter the category it falls under, and how to find both meaning and purpose through it. We believe this video series can have a profound impact on you or a loved one. This can be a great resource if you lead a small group for your church, or if you're looking for personal direction for your own life, or if you have a friend in mind you think could use some help navigating a valley. If you fall into any of these categories and are interested in learning more or purchasing today, head to MyPainToPurposePlan.com. That's MyPainToPurposePlan.com. Now back to our conversation. So do you... Do you see it as kind of like a proportionate, you've got to have the 
you know, I, I, I don't, I don't want to reduce it down to this, but you've got to have the same amount of rest and restore as you do connect and create, or is there like percentage that you see our lives should kind of fulfill within that? Is it unique to each person or what, what's been your experience with that? Well, it's so fun. Cause I, on my website, rebeccalyons.com, I have a quiz say find your rhythm or discover your healthiest okay. rhythm. Cause we all have one that's dominant because of our personality. And that's mm. not bad. That's yeah, good. Right. Like we're all different and we're wired differently for different reasons. Some introverts and extroverts also kind of are going to be way more natural at connecting mm. than they are at resting. That's okay. There's no shame. But the problem is, is if one's really high and then the other ones are basically non-existent, like mm. if you're killing it at work in your create category, but you're not connecting with your wife or your kids or your husband and your kids or your friendships and you're eating like crap. So mm. you're always like kind of like being fueled by caffeine and sugar and slowed down by wine or whatever it mm. is, then you're not going to last long. Yeah. Like that, that create rhythm is going to eventually suffer. And so when people take this quiz, it's been so fun to watch their responses. It's free. It's 40 questions. It takes five minutes, but then they get the results right away of like, mm. Hey, here's your healthiest rhythm. Congrats. You're <laughs> killing it. <laughs> That's awesome. But that means that these other three need to be strengthened. Mm. And so I'm not saying that everyone's going to perfectly every day get 25, 25, 25, 25%. But what I am encouraging people to do is do one expression of each rhythm every day. And that doesn't mean like this is a big fat to-do list. It's more like be thoughtful because you are doing these things already. Right. You're just not doing them with intention. So for example, if rest, like one of the chapters is tech detox or morning routine or, or even routines for deep sleep. I'm, I'm all about science and faith mm -hmm. coming together. So mm -hmm. there's data and research in every chapter. And I want real practical things like if you're not sleeping well, try these things. Mm -hmm. If you're not getting time with God, try these things. If you're not getting, um, if you're not eating a healthy breakfast, try these things. Yeah. You know, here's a quick way to do this. Um, because I know everyone's busy and right. they have like lives and jobs and families and work. It's true. So right. it's more about like, let's just take the same hours of day of, of the day that you already have and go, I'm going to just change how I'm approaching that hour. Mm. That's great. So, um, since you've kind of be, been back in the battle of, you know, putting these, these principles in place, as you've been writing this, as you've been discovering this in your own personal life, what can you tell us about how this has uh, transformed you, Rebecca Lyons, personally from, you know, 2017 when, when you saw the panic attacks reemerge and this, the anxiety began to kind of resurface to now. What, what, what does that look like for you? Well, I learned that I had been doing a lot of output, right? So I, mm. I wrote three books in seven years. I wound up going on the road from September to May almost every weekend and teaching. I never mm. thought I would be public speaking. It's just that one invitation would, would be get another yeah. and then another. And then all of a sudden I'm like, I love this. this is so <laughs> I didn't realize that both my parents are school teachers and I was swore I would never be a teacher. And now God's like, uh, ha ha. Just what are you doing now? You're, you're teaching <laughs> just not in the conventional classroom yep. you were trying to avoid. Yep. So I actually love it. I come alive. I do believe that that's part of the the call for my life is to just somehow bring language to where people are at and mm invite them to find their story in it. So it's like my jam. I love it. But what I would find is I'd get home 
and just like the laundry, like I'd get Mm. off a long weekend just engaging hundreds of women, thousands of women, and then come home and be like, I can't even start the washing Mm. machine. Like the smallest things that, that adrenal like crash would literally overwhelm me to where I'd be wearing pajamas all day long and just like want to hide in my bedroom. Mm. And I was like, or the kids would come home from school at three and I'm like crawling back into bed. Like, I know I haven't seen you all day and your mom was gone on Friday and Saturday morning. And now she's crawling back in bed. Like it was, I was like something. So that's when I did whole 30 Mm. two years ago. Like I was like, I get to get radical with my diet. I got with a nutritionist. Um, of course I wasn't sleeping well. Thankfully mm. when I don't sleep well, I still get up and talk to God about it. So I'm getting my morning routine at 3am instead <laughs> of like 7am. But, um, but over time I just said, what, what, here's one thing in that season of a lot of output, I was so depleted on rest that I actually had to take almost like a longer version, like almost an extended mm. sabbatical. So we, we hear about, you know, you rest on the Sabbath. I write a chapter on Sabbath mm-hmm. um, because obviously after seven or after six on the Sabbath, you rest. God, right. God, God shows us how to do this. He t- calls the land to do this every seven years. People don't obey. He mm-hmm. exiles them for seven right. years to make up for that. So God's not casual about rest. It's, right. it's not optional to him. It's, it's mandatory. Mm-hmm. And as his people, I realized I was being disobedient by going, I, it's been seven years of me doing this. I need like a year. I need mm. to like professionally bench myself. And I know not everyone has the luxury to do that. I'm not a pastor to local church that can just disappear. Mm. I'm, I'm someone who travels so I can kind of say, no, I'm just going to take this season and just not. Yeah. Um, and we timed that. It worked out lovely because we were bringing a girl home from China, mm. like who never knew a mom or dad and was still in a crib in an orphanage at age five. And we knew that healthy attachment would take six to nine months. So I was like, I'm staying home with joy, just yeah. hanging at home. And so that's what I've done literally for the last nine months leading up. She just went to school for kindergarten for the first time three weeks ago, knowing that this book was coming. I like mm. professionally bench myself going into this season, knowing it's going to be busy again but at least I'm pulling from the input that I received. And honestly, here's what rest does. Here's what an extended rest taught me. And I advise it to anyone who's in ministry that feels like they're doing this for God Mm. is that there were probably five times in that span of nine months where I looked at God and go, I will quit now. Like Mm. this is this, you are the prize. This intimacy that I'm getting back with you, this cadence of joy, like nature walks, prayer walks, connecting with a new daughter, like living the gospel as a potent witness, just Mm. because I, just because my life is a witness, not because I have to go talk about it. I just want to be it. And I just remember feeling such release in the work. Like, I don't need this. There's no identity attached to this. Mm. This doesn't make me feel more valuable to you. I feel like you see me now as whole. Like, so I really, because I was so willing to lay it down, it, 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 it means that reentry is just different. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's a lot more relaxed. A lot less driving. It can still be stressful. I'm not, please don't hear me. Like there's no (laughs) stress in it, but the expectations are not there and the gratitude is. So that's helping a lot. Wow. Rebecca, this has been so good, so beneficial. I know to myself, to the listeners, people in ministry, people 
not in ministry, but just trying to plug away at life and that, what'd you call it? Birthright gifting that God's given them. What a great. Yeah. You know, who calls it that is Parker Palmer. When he wrote the the book, let your life speak. It's one of my favorite books on vocation. Wow. It came out in the year 2000, but it's still like my top recommend for if you want to really, it's called listening to the voice to vocation. And he talks about his quote is this exactly. He says, we all come into this world with birthright gifts and early on we abandon them or others disabuse them. Mm. But if we are aware and awake and able to admit our loss, we'll spend the second half of our lives recovering the gifts we've always possessed. Wow. Wow. Well, in many ways, the only way to become aware of that is to begin practicing these things that you've put in this book. So I thank you so much for writing this book. I'm excited about getting getting my hands on it and reading it. Thank you. And just for the dudes out there, we designed the, the actual, the, when you take off the jacket, Mm -hmm. we designed it to be more, not flowery. I love that you're this saying time, this. <laughs> from many men, after the last couple of books, they're like, uh, we keep reading your books on the subway or we were reading them in meetings and we're recommending it. Can you make a dude version? Yeah, we so want to be able to read like, it on okay, the beach and not be embarrassed by off. it. <laughs> It can work. So, That's awesome. There you go. Uh, well, thank you, Rebecca. Thank you so much for joining us on this. Thank you for the work you're doing. Make sure that you pick up Rhythms of Renewal, guys. It's going to be an incredible, incredible read for you. It's going to speak and breathe so much life into you. And Rebecca, it's just been an honor to talk to you. Hey, that was an awesome interview with Rebecca. I yeah. love her. Yep. Uh, one of my one of my favorite things she talked about was when she said she's talking about panic attacks and the anxiety mm. that it doesn't actually have to become your identity. Yeah. Wow. You know, powerful. Wow. These are things that happen to us. These are attacks against us, but they don't have to become us or define us. I love that. Yeah, that's so good. I, you know, I, I, one of the things I've really been thinking about recently, Aubrey, and in terms uh, of that kind of that concept is just the victory that we're able to experience in Jesus because of the resurrection. Mm, that's you know, right. there, there are seasons where we experience anxiety. There are seasons where, but yeah. as we begin to lean into some of these things Rebecca's talking about, these rhythms of renewal, as we begin to let the Holy Spirit start to press these things out of us, teach us through these things, yeah. lead us in these things, then we can really reclaim that peace. That's right. That's and right. We don't and have these to things sit in can it. become like an invitation deeper yes. into intimacy with God. Yeah. That's so good. Even when That's they're so hard. Good. Yeah. Whew. Well, speaking of an invitation, I want to extend an invitation to you guys to listen to Sleeping at Last. You guys hear some of his music on the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, but he has all kinds of stuff up there on iTunes. And so make sure you go listen to that. We want to thank you, Ryan, with Sleeping at Last. Um, for providing the music for the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. And Aubrey, next week we have an incredible interview with a local pastor here in Indianapolis who actually... I'm very excited about this one. ...also wrote a book on lament. Can you believe it? That's ironic, isn't it? I can't wait to talk to him. He is such a wise guy talking about lament, Pastor Mark Vrogop. Yes. Um, and we have a little clip for you. So listen to this before we sign off. In our third pregnancy, 
my wife just had this sense all the way through the pregnancy that something was wrong. And, um, I, you know, I just kept encouraging her, praying with her and everything else. But about uh, three or four days before delivery, she woke me up early one morning and said, Mark, something's not right. Mm-hmm. And what was crazy was prior to that time, I felt like the Lord was preparing me for some kind of suffering. Mm-hmm. It was this weird thing that I was like, Lord, I feel like I need to know more about this. And it was kind of a nervous approach to it because, man, what if this is actually going to be true? So my wife goes um, downstairs and um, she, um, after telling me that, and I immediately got on my knees and I said, Lord, please, not this, Mm. not this. 